0: different places in scripture, and as we uh, learn and apply it to our lives, Father, I pray that you would uh, help us open uh, hearts, help us to be able to uh, learn from your word, to be uh, encouraged, Lord, allow this to be a time of growth and understanding. Father, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Isaiah chapter 12, and like I said, it's only 6 verses, so how long could you preach out of Isaiah 12 for, you know what I mean? And uh, hopefully we won't be here too too long tonight, and I, but I do want to draw a few points, something you need to understand about Isaiah 12. I don't know if you've uh, noticed, but uh, when we entered into Isaiah chapter 8, chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, they kind of form a section, especially the last 3 chapters, and if you remember, if you were with us for Isaiah chapter 10, we talked about how that represented uh, Revelation 9, and the battle of the Armageddon and we saw that there, the Holy One going to war against the trees and all those things. And then last week in Isaiah 11, we saw how that pre- represented uh, the millennial reign and we saw how the bear will feed with the ox and all those things and how the animals were going to be at peace and the earth was going to be full with the knowledge of God. Chapter 12 kind of brings this section to an end and next week in, ver- in chapter 13, we'll kind of begin a new section of the book of Isaiah. And in chapter 12, uh, he kind of gives us an overview of salvation, and um, if if you're taking notes tonight and you've got your little, uh, you know, course of the week there on the back of there, there's a place to take notes, if you'd like to take notes, uh, I'd like to outline this for you, and like I said, not spend too much time tonight, but if you look at verse 1, the Bible says this, Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 1, and in that day... Thou shalt say. Now, in that day, is a reference to that day of salvation. Now, we understand that we've been saved, and we'll see here how salvation was a moment. But the the idea is that our salvation will be. Uh, Complete And, I, and I don't take that the wrong way. Our salvation is complete and it's secure. But it, it will be done when one day we are no longer in this corrupt body and we are in an incorrupt body. When we, this mortal, the Bible says, has put on immortality. And the Bible says, in that day, after the judgment, after the great white throne, after all those things, uh, when we are in, in that glorified body, the Bible says, in that day, shalt the Lord say, I w- um, sh- I'm sorry, in that day, thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise Thee. Now notice, why are we praising Him? Notice what the Bible says here. Though Thou wast angry with me, Thine anger is turned away, and Thou comfortest me. If you're taking notes uh, tonight, uh, I'd like you to notice the first thing that we come across in Isaiah chapter 12 is salvation standing, and our standing as saved individuals, and this is really the standing of a believer. Isaiah said, Thou wast angry with me, Thine anger Anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. You need to understand, before salvation, before you were born again, before you accepted Christ as your Savior, before you were saved, you need to understand this. God was angry with us. Let me share a few verses with you. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 12, because we're going to come back to it. But go to John chapter uh, 3. John chapter number 3. John's a very well-known. John 3 is a very well-known passage in Scripture, obviously. John chapter 3. And if you're in John 3, keep your finger there or a ribbon or a bulletin or something. Because we're going to be around that area also. Romans, we'll come back to John later. John chapter 3. Look at verse number 36. And I want you to see something that a lot of people maybe don't understand about salvation. John chapter number 3 and verse number 36. John chapter number 3 and verse number 36. The Bible says this. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And I want you to remember that phrase, because we're going to bring that up again later in the sermon. He that believeth on the Son, it doesn't say will get, it doesn't say is going to get, it says he has everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. And I want you to notice this, he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now, it's not saying that the wrath of God is going to one day abide on Him. The Bible says everyone who does not believe on Jesus Christ, every unbeliever on earth today, right now, the wrath, and the word wrath means anger. The wrath of God abides on Him. Keep your finger there in John 3, because we're going to come back uh, towards this area of the Bible. But go just real quickly to the book of Psalms. If you open your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Go to Psalms chapter 7 and look at verse number 11. Psalms 7 and verse number 11. Psalm 7 and verse 11, just right in the center of Scripture there, you have the book of Psalms. Psalm 7, 11 The Bible says this, God judgeth the righteous. Now I want you to see this, and a lot of people don't understand this about God. God judgeth the righteous. Now notice this, and God is angry with the wicked every day. See, you need to understand this. You you know, we like to talk about a big, loving God. And God is a loving God. And God is a merciful God. And God has given us uh, salvation. And God sent His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We understand that. But you need to understand this. Before salvation, to the unbeliever, God is angry with the wicked every day. The Bible says that the wrath of God abideth on him. And before you were saved and before I was saved, we are standing before God was a standing of wrath, of anger, of judgment, of needing to have a penalty for our sins. Now go back to Isaiah chapter 12. Notice what it says. Isaiah chapter 12. Because this is a salvation standing. This is what happened when you got saved. You were under the wrath of God. You were under... The judgment of God. You were under the anger of God. God is angry with the wicked every day. But in Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 1, here's what happened for you when you got saved. And in that day, thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Thou, notice Thou, uh, though thou wast angry with me. Notice. Thine anger is turned away. And thou comfortest me. See, our standing with God, before salvation, was out of anger, was that of wrath, was that of punishment. But after salvation, the Bible says that his anger is turned away, and we have peace with God. Now, did you keep your finger there in John 3? Go to Romans chapter 5. you got uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then you've got the book of Romans. Go to Romans uh, chapter 5. Just a couple of books after the book of John. Romans chapter 5. And I want you to see our standing in salvation. Our standing in salvation is this. You were under the of God. But when you got saved, his anger was turned away. You were under the judgment of God. But when you got saved, the judgment was put on someone else. Notice Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 1. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith. Notice this. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that salvation brought to you, and one of the things that salvation gave us, is the fact that we were at enmity with God. We were at odds with God. God was not happy with us. The wrath of God abides on us. But when we got saved through faith, the Bible says we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's exactly what I to say? I say to say, that was angry with me, but thine anger is turned away. Look at verse 9, Romans chapter 5. Verse 9, notice what it says. Skip down to verse number 9. Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if, notice, for if verse 10, when we were sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. See, there was a strain between our relationship and the relationship of God. And what Jesus did is He brought peace. What Jesus did is He brought reconciliation. Reconciliation means there was a problem. It's like when a husband and wife are fighting and and someone maybe steps in and kind of helps and counsels them and reconciles that relationship. That's what happened between you and God. Thou was angry with me, but thine anger is turned away. Now just to prove to you that I, I truly believe uh, this is talking about salvation, actually just go, go back to John real quickly. John chapter 5, look at verse 24. You're there in Romans, so just go back, past the book of Acts, back into John. And look at John, chap, uh, John chapter 5. Look at verse 24. And here's what I want you to understand about, about salvation. Because a lot of people don't get this, and I want us to be very clear in our doctrine. John chapter 5, look at verse 24. John 5, 24, very famous verse, the Bible says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, notice, he that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, remember that? But notice this, and shall not come into condemnation. So not only do you have everlasting life, but here's the other part of salvation, you're not going to come into condemnation. Part of salvation is that you will never be condemned again. You will not come into the condemnation, notice notice why, but is passed from death unto life. Do you see that? This is what salvation is, because today there are many who teach and believe that salvation is a process. Salvation is something I'm kind of working at, I'm kind of stepping in it, I'm trying to do right, I'm trying to live a good life, and if if I get back to them, then I might lose that salvation, or if I do something wrong, then God might take it away from me, but here's what you guys said, salvation is this, God was angry, but now he's no longer angry, God was upset with me, but now he's no longer upset, I was at odds with God, but through Jesus Christ, I now have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, I was dead, now I'm alive, Do you understand that? That's what salvation is. It's a moment. It is a it, it is an event in time. You pass from death to life. It's not a process. It's not something we're just kind of working on. and I'm just kind of hoping that I make it and I'm good enough. And hopefully, if I do enough good things, I'll go to heaven. Aren't you thankful for the fact that salvation is just, it's just a transaction that happened between a sinner, a just God, and a Savior? Where we were able to receive peace through Him. You know, we're, we're teaching through that uh, series on Sunday mornings about uh, the family. And, you know, it, it, it could be kind of discouraging when you really start looking at what the Bible has to say about the family. And every single one of us could look at that and say, man, I failed there. And, man, I didn't do what I was supposed to do there. And I didn't know that. And I wish I would have known that when I was raising my kids or when I was first married. Or, uh, you know, and, and it's easy just even a, anytime you study scripture, it's easy to kind of beat yourself up and say, man, I wish I, I, I wouldn't have done that. Or I made a mistake here and I made a mistake here. But aren't you thankful that when you got saved, all your sins were forgiven, gone, 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 my sins are gone as far as the east is from the west. I mean, aren't you thankful that it's not something I'm trying to... God isn't looking down at me saying, well, if he's good enough to get it? I just go from death to life. I just go from death to birth. I got born into the family of God. He was angry, but now his anger is turned away. Now notice, go, keep your finger there in John, because we're going to come right back to it. But go back to Isaiah chapter 12. Let me just show you that this is talking about salvation, right or at the very least picturing salvation. Because notice this. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, that's the wrath of God, thine anger is turned away. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice this. And thou comfortest me. Do you see that? He says, You were angry. Now, your anger's turned away, and when your anger got turned away, this is what I got. I got comfort. Now, comfort is me. Go back to John. I want you to remember that word, comfort, or comfort is me. Go to John chapter 14. Because you know what you got when you got saved? You got a person of the Godhead, known as the Holy Spirit... And that Holy Spirit is also known by another name, John chapter 14, look at verse number 16, you're there in John 5, just go a few pages over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse 16, the Bible says this, I will pray the Father. This is Jesus speaking before He was ascended and before He, he, he went up to, to heaven. He was getting ready to die. And He knew that He was going to leave the disciples. And He knew that He was going to leave this earth. And He says, I will pray the Father that He shall give you another, notice, another comforter. you see that? That He may abide with you for temporary. Is that what it says? Yeah. That He may abide with you until you mess up. Is that what it says? That He may abide with you, notice, forever. Skip down to verse 26. Look at verse 26. John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. The Bible says that God is going to send the Comforter, to, uh, which is the Holy Spirit, to come when He leaves us. Look at verse uh, uh, chapter 15, John 15. Look at verse 26. John 15, verse 26. John 15, verse 26, the Bible says this, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And here's the point that I want to make. Salvation, there's a standing in salvation. And here's what we mean. You're either saved or you're not. Sometimes we'll ask people, you know, Do you know for sure if you died today, would you go to heaven? And they'll say, well, I think so. Well, I, I hope so. Well, I, I, think, I, think I, I think I might make it. You know, I, I'm, or sometimes people say like, well, I know, man, I'm not, after last night, I know I'm not, making it." you know what I mean? And here's the thing, you're, you're either, because here's what he said, we're passed from death unto life. You're either dead or you're alive, you understand that? You're not like half dead. Well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of born. You either got born or you didn't. You know, you either came out of the womb or you didn't. And salvation is this: I'm either saved or I'm not. But here's what you guys to understand: it's not based on you. It's not based on how uh, good of a person you are. We'll see that here in a second. Go back to Isaiah chapter 12. I want you to notice verse 1 talks to us about salvation standing. Salvation standing is this, that thou, I I will praise thee, though thou was angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Salvation standing is this, I was under the wrath of God, now I have peace with God, and He gave me the comforter. I stand in Christ. I am in Christ. I pass from death to life. I am saved. I stand in that salvation. That's what salvation is. But I'd like you to notice verse 2. In verse 1 we saw salvation standing. In verse 2 we see salvation security. Notice verse 2. He says, Behold, God is my salvation. That's what we're talking about, right? Now here's a good definition for the word faith. I will trust. You see that? Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. Here's a good definition for assurance. You hear people talk about, do you have your assurance of salvation? Here's assurance and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Here's what you got to understand. Faith. See, people get this idea. Well, as I believe in Jesus. But the Bible says that the devils believe and tremble. Okay? It's not just that I believe in Jesus like I believe that He existed. The Bible sometimes uses this term to believe on Christ. And the idea there is that I'm trusting in Him. I'm putting my trust in Him to save me. That's why it says there, Behold, God is my salvation, I will trust. See, there are some people who are trusting in their good works. You go out soul winning with us, and you knock on our door, and you talk to most Christians, and you say, you don't presume that today you go to heaven. They say, well, I think I go to heaven. And you ask them, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? What gives you that assurance that you're on your way to heaven? And people say, well, I've been baptized. Well, I go to church. Well, I teach Sunday school. Well, I live a good life. Well, I do this. Well, I do that. And look, what they're saying is, I'm trusting the things that I do. Now, they may say, I believe in Christ. But you also, you know, I also have to repent of my sins. That's not salvation. Salvation is this. I will trust in Him. My trust, my faith. I don't just believe that God exists. I don't just believe that Jesus exists. But my trust is that He will save me. Not me. Now notice notice verse 2. We are saved by His strength. Notice verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is, notice, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength. Do you see that? And my song. He also has become my salvation. Do you understand this? If I'm saved, if you're saved, if anyone's saved, we are saved by the strength of God. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. See, it's not by my strength, it's by His strength. You don't have to turn there, but Romans 5 8 says this, but God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says when we were yet without strength, the Bible says when we were helpless, when we could not help ourselves, when we could not get ourselves out of this mess, He came, He died, and by His strength we're saved. That's what salvation is and see people I, I don't understand this idea when people say well well, yeah it's all Jesus Christ it's his death burial resurrection there's nothing I can do to save myself but then once you're saved well I gotta keep it I gotta live a good life otherwise you'll well, take it away well look it's either Him or it's not you understand that I'm either saved or I'm not I'm either dead or I'm alive we are saved by trusting in Him, and it is His strength, not ours. It is the work that He did, not the work that I did. See what I'm talking about? Well, doesn't the Bible say that it's, it's His work wrought with our work? Here's what I'm saying: it's His work that saves us. My faith wrought with His works. His work on the cross, it will save me. It's not my going to church or my reading the Bible or my living a good life. Now, notice this. Look at verse 3. We're talking about salvation security, right? Therefore, the, the, the therefore is referring to the fact that I'm saved, God is my salvation, I will trust, I will not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength, He's my song, He's also become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, notice, therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Do you see that? The Bible talks about drawing water. Out of the wells of salvation. You say, what is that talking about? This all speaks to this idea of the security of the believer. Can you go back to John chapter 4? John chapter 4? And we'll notice Jesus referring back to these wells of salvation. This water that we can drink from. In order to be saved. You need to understand this, okay? Salvation is not a process. I am not in the process of getting saved. Paul was asked the question, the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He said, if you place your faith in Christ if you trust in Jesus, you will be saved. And the moment you get saved, it is His strength that saves us. And then the Bible says that we draw water out of the wells of salvation. John chapter 4, are you there? Notice what it says. John chapter 4, in verse 7, we find a very famous story of Jesus speaking with the woman at the well. Do you remember the story? John 4, 7 There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water Jesus saith unto her Give me to drink Now Jesus had been traveling If you read the context And I, don't, I, don't, I won't take the time to do it Jesus, had been tra- Jesus was tired The disciples went into town to go get lunch And he's just kind of hanging out at the well there And he's, he's, not, uh, he, he's tired He's been traveling and, and, and this lady comes, this unbeliever And he has the opportunity to give her the salvation Now look, aren't you glad that Jesus wasn't like the average soul winner today? Because I'll tell you what the average soul winner today would have done. I'm tired. I'm just not going to talk to this lady. I'm not going to go out today. But Jesus, he was tired, the Bible says, but he went ahead and talked to her. Verse 7, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. So you've got to understand the context. They're at a well. She's coming to draw water. He's just kind of leaning there on the well, hanging out, resting. He looks at this lady and says, hey, can I have something to drink? Now notice we're saying for his disciples were gone away unto the cities of meat. then saith the woman of Samaria and I don't have time to develop this so you can study this out on your own the Samaritans were a group of people that were kind of looked out on by the Jews and, and it, was, it was a racial tension there Samaritans were kind of considered half breeds. they were half-Jew and half-Assyrian or just kind of mixed in with the Gentiles and in verse 9 the Bible says then saith the woman of Samaria unto him how is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me Aren't you glad that Jesus did not look down on people based on their race or their social standing? she says, man, why are you even talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't, we shouldn't. Notice, they said the woman of Samaria and said, how is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews, notice, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritan. She said, we shouldn't even be talking. Jews don't talk to Samaritans. So why are you trying to ask me for a favor? Notice verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto her. See, Jesus had an agenda. Jesus didn't really just want to drink of water, although I'm sure he wanted to drink of water. He was trying to start up a conversation so he could preach. To the gospel Jesus answered and said unto her notice if thou knewest the gift of God and by the way that's what salvation is it's a gift you don't work for a gift you don't earn a gift you don't do good things to get a gift a gift by definition is free and he says if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that say to thee give me to drink now notice what he says he says I ask you for water but if you knew the gift of God and if you knew who I was, he said, thou wouldn't have asked of him. He said, you if you knew who I was, you would have asked me, and he would have given me notice, living water. He said, I'm asking you for water, but really, if you knew the gospel, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for living water. Verse 11, the woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. She's thinking in a carnal, earthly state. And the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? She's looking at him saying, well, you don't have a bucket to draw water out. And, and, you know, you asked me for water and now you're saying that I should be asking you for living water and I don't see how you can get the water from. The the well is deep. You don't have anything to draw water from. Look at verse 12. Art thou greater than our father Jacob? Jacob was a man who had given them this well. She's saying to Jesus, art thou greater than than our father Jacob? And the answer to that question is yes. which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle now notice verse 13 Jesus answered and said unto her whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again he's saying this, this well that Jacob gave you Jacob is so great and Jacob was one of the patriarchs and we know that Jacob was a godly man But he says this well that Jacob gave you you can draw water out of this well and you can drink it and it will quench your thirst but you'll get thirsty again you know, He said it will not satisfy you forever now notice verse 14. Don't miss this. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him. Remember Isaiah talked about these wells of salvation. But whosoever shall give him water that I shall give him. Notice. Shall never. you see that? Shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into. And here's the key phrase. Everlasting life. Here's what Jesus was saying. He's saying salvation is like a drink of water that when you drink it, you'll never thirst again. He said it's like a drink of water that will satisfy your thirst forever. He said, in fact, it will become in you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He said, he said if you understood the gift, if you understood Isaiah, if you understood uh, uh, who I am, and if you understood this thing of salvation, you would understand that this water will only satisfy you for a short amount of time. He says it'll be everlasting life. And here's the beautiful thing about salvation. When you drink of the water of salvation, you never have to take of it again. It lasts forever. <laughs> See if I said to you, hey, I would give you this, I'm gonna give you this water and it'll quench your thirst forever then you'll never thirst again. And that's what everlasting life is. That's what salvation... He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And Isaiah is teaching us and explaining to us not only the standing of salvation, God was angry with me, but now I have peace. Not only is it a moment in time, not only was the wrath of God abiding on me, but now I have peace, of God. But you think, once I have it, it'll last forever. The wells of water. Salvation. Everlasting life. I can never lose it. I'll never thirst again. And if you say, "Well, I got, I got saved, but then I lost my salvation, and I have to get saved again," I would say to you, "You never got saved." Because Jesus said, "Hey, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again." He said that. Jesus said, "If you get, if you if you drink of the water of salvation, it'll 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 become in you a well of water springing up. It'll become a source of water that you can then go and distribute to others." He said. You know, It's called the eternal security of a believer. That's what salvation is. It's not based on me. And, and I would submit to you. There are many things that you can do in this world to satisfy certain appetites. But you'll thirst again. You'll go get high and you'll need to get high again. And you'll go get drunk and you'll need to get drunk again. And you can go ahead and commit adultery and say, well, this will, this will fix it we'll just one time. I'll just do this and I'll be done. But you'll have to commit adultery again. But God brings a satisfaction that just once you have it, you never need anything else but Him. That's what salvation is. So if you go back to Isaiah 12, we not only see salvation standing, and we not only see salvation security, but I want you to notice number three, we see salvation song. Notice what Isaiah says throughout this chapter. Look at verse one again. In that day, thou shalt say, notice this, I will praise thee. Do you see that? Why am I praising Him? Though thou was angry with me, thine anger is turned away, now comforts me. (laughs) Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength, notice this, and my song. You see that? He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Verse 4, and in that day shall ye say, praise the Lord, call upon His name, declare His doings among the people, make mention that His name is exalted. Notice verse 5, sing unto the Lord, for ye have done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. And here's what he's saying he's saying not only is salvation giving you a new standing and not only does salvation give you security but you know salvation ought to give us a song and here's the thing you need to understand salvation gives us a new song let me show you something about this new song go to Psalm 40 Psalm 40 and we're almost done like I said it's only 6 verses not a, not a lot to cover tonight but look at Psalm 40 and I, I, I want to explain to you something about music after salvation And here's what I know about music. It's very powerful. And I don't expect to convince you, Uh, but I want to show you what the Bible says and you can at least understand why we have the type of music we do at Verity Baptist Church. Psalm 40 and verse 3 says this, and he had put a, I want you to notice this word, new song, do you see that? And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. When you got saved, God and the Holy Spirit have a desire to put a new song in your mouth. And today we live in a time of Christianity where you go to the average Christian church and the music they call Christian music is not new. In fact, there is an agenda by the Rick Warrens and the Joel Osteens of this world to say, what we'll do is we'll take the music that was popular back in the 80s and we'll bring that music into the church house because the people were trying to, it's the same thing Walmart does, <laughs> you know, you walk up up and down Walmart and they're playing, mu- they're not playing the music that's popular today because the average teenager isn't shopping at Walmart. Who's shopping at Walmart? 40 year olds, middle aged people. So what music do they play? The music you used to listen to. Because you get into Walmart and you start singing your little Elton John or whatever it is you are into. And you just spend more time at Walmart, you're just spending money. And the idea of a seeker-sensitive church is that let's get the music that these people used to listen to and let's just change the lyrics. It used to be about their one true love. Now let's just, let's, let's just change the names and we'll sing about Jesus, our one true love. But it's the world's music. And your flesh likes it. It's like we talked about this morning. You have an appetite. You have, you, you, there's something you've been exposed to. And you like, not against. I'm not against you. I'm just explaining to you. And people come here and they say, well, this, this music is different. Here's what you don't understand. It's a new song. It's something you've never heard before. You're not going to turn on the radio. You're not going to go on The Fish and listen to them sing. I'll hail the power of Jesus. And you know why? Because it's not the world's music. Go to 1 John chapter 2. Towards the end of the New Testament, 1 John chapter 2. Let me just explain to you something about music. And here's what I know about music. It's very emotional subject. People get offended. That's why I said, I'm not I, am I going to, to offend you. I just want to explain to you why we believe what we believe and why we do what we do. At Very new Baptist Church, we believe that music ought to be different than the world's music. It's a new song in my mouth. Romans chapter 12. And, and, and that's why you go to the average youth group today and what are they playing? Rock music. Why? Because that's what teenagers are listening to. You go to a certain churches in certain areas and it's Christian rap. Why? Because those people are listening, Those in those communities, are listening to rap music. You go to certain areas in this country and it's, you know, uh, cu- it's country music. That's called Christian music. Why? Because that's what they're listening to in their culture. And it's all designed to feed your flesh. And here's what you need to say. Whenever someone is appealing to your flesh, you gotta just know that's already a red flag. Amen. Are you there in 1 John chapter 2? Look at verse 15. First John chapter 2 and verse 15. Love not the world. Let me just say that again. Love not the world. That's not a suggestion, that's a command. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now notice verse 16. For all. You see that word all there? I know this is real deep. You know, we got to go back to the Greek to figure this out. But the word all means everything. For all. Okay, does all include music? I think it does. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, notice, is not of the Father, but is of the world. See, there's there's never a time when God was up in heaven looking down on earth and he thought, wow, you know what? Satan just came up with something. i never thought of that. I could use that. Satan just came up with rock music. Why didn't I think of that? all that is in the world is not of the Father, but is of the world that's what the Bible says go to Romans chapter 12 look at verse 2 Romans chapter 12 verse 2 Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 the Bible says this Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2 the Bible says of course Romans 12 and verse 1 is a very famous verse I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present yourselves a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God which is your reasonable service but look at verse 2 I want you to understand this. And be not conformed to this world. The word conformed means to be molded after. It means to pattern yourself after. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see the word Renew? see, everything in the Christian life ought to be different. You say, well, well, I, we, we, we can do Christianity, but let's just go back to the music we used to listen to, and let's just add Jesus to that. No, no, you got to understand this. We're not supposed to be conformed to this world. We're supposed to have a renewed mind, a transformed life, a new song. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Like I said, I'm not here trying to convince you, because I understand people are emotional about music, and they're like, oh, I like my music, and look, you can do whatever you want at home, it doesn't bother me. I'm just explaining to you why at Marity Baptist Church, we don't have a rock concert here. Because we're not trying to be conformed to this world. Now you may you go home and listen to the fish. It doesn't bother me. I'm just explaining to you. Our music, scripturally, our music, biblically, ought to be different, ought to not be conformed to this world. Because all that is in the world. is not of the Father, but it's of the world. Our music ought to be different than this world's music. Say, well, I've never heard music like... When people come, when people come into Marybeth and say, I've never heard music like this, I take that as a compliment. I say, praise the Lord. Because we don't want you coming into church and being like, oh yeah, this reminds me of when I used to go to the rock concert. That's being conformed to this world. And look, do you know that there are rock concerts all over America that have nothing to do with God, that have thousands of people in them? And God is not a hundred miles. People have to say to me, Pastor, you, know, you got rid of these... With contemporary music, you can really attract the crowd. If that was the goal to attract the crowd, we could do that, but the goal is to honor God. If, if the goal was to bring in a huge crowd of people, then yeah, let's go get Amy Grant and let's go get, you know, whoever and bring them in and let them sing and let's water down the preaching and let's, why don't we just have a rock concert for 45 minutes and Pastor Mez can get up and read two verses and, and spend 15 minutes just kind of, you know, uh, scratching your ear a little bit and yeah, let's take an offering and let's all get rich. But that's not the goal, at least not here. The goal is to honor God. The goal is to let God build a church. The goal is to do what the Bible says. And the Bible says to not be conformed to this world. And look, you say, well, Pastor, can I go home and listen to it? You can go home and just do whatever you want. I'd just like to answer for you. Why do you guys have this type of music? Because the Bible says that our music ought to not be conformed. We ought to not love this world. We ought to be different from this world. He called it a new song. And if it's just like the music you used to listen to, then it's not new. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Let me just show you one more verse. We'll be done. Colossians chapter 3. And by the way, it just has to do with your appetites. It's what we talked about this morning. It just has to do with what you've been exposed to and what your influences are. These kids right here, they're not going to go off, you know, and just... The, The kids that grow up at Brady Baptist Church are not going to grow up and then go to some liberal, pansy, rock and roll, the pastor needs to grow some hair on his legs because he doesn't ever get up and say anything controversial. You know what I mean? They're not going to go to that type of church. You know why? Because they've been exposed to a church that preaches the Bible, that has godly music, that preaches the Word of God, and this is is what they're going to be looking for. Do you understand that? That's why these kids are like, let's sing this song, let's sing that song. Why? Because they've been exposed to this kind of music. You were just exposed to worldly music. It's not your fault. I'm just explaining to you why we don't have contemporary Christian music. Why we don't have, you know, rock and roll Christian music or Christian rock. Why we don't have, we don't have that stuff because that stuff, whether you like it or not, you disagree with me, whatever. It's like the land of Egypt. It's like the world. Colossians 3, look at verse 16. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Here's the purpose of music. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Do you you know that the purpose of music, according to the Bible, is not to make you feel good?
1: Oh, every time I go
0: to this, I just feel so good. Show me in the Bible where God ever said that the purpose of music was to make you feel good. Because the Bible says that the purpose of music is this, to teach and admonish. When we sing these praises to God, They ought to remind us of the truths of of, of Scripture. The purpose of music is to teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And you know what I like about Verity Baptist Church? That if you want to come to this church and you want to be part of the singing service, you actually have to learn to sing. You can't just come here and kind of sit there and go like this. Get your little lighter out. To, to sing these songs, you have to actually sing. And you sing about, you know, what have we been talking about? The standing, right? Our standing in Jesus Christ. We were under the wrath of God. Now we've been saved. So we sing songs like, Once, once I was a sinner, but I gave pardon to receive of the Lord. Isn't that exactly what we just preached about? We just learned about eternal security. We learned about the fact that we have assurance through the strength of God that He saved us, that once we drink of that water, it will last forever. So we sing songs like, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And you know, to sing those songs, you actually have to learn what a note is. And you can't just rap it. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. <laughs> You actually have to open your mouth and sing. And that's what God wants us to do. Well, it just doesn't make me feel... And look, your problem is you feel too good. Your life's a mess and you feel good about it. You need somebody to teach you, you know, your life's a mess, your marriage is falling apart, you don't know what you're doing with your kids, Get right with God. That's what you need. You don't need somebody to kick you on the back. Some of you just need a kick in the rear end. But the music, it just doesn't make me... It's supposed to teach you stop. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on the Son is true, hath everlasting life. I think that sounds like something I read in the Bible. Because the purpose of music, you say, well, it's different. Praise the Lord! It's supposed to be new. When salvation comes in, you standing, and when salvation comes in, you song, and it's different than this one. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we Love you, thank you for our church, Lord. I know that. Isaiah chapter 12, just six verses. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize, and I pray you'd help us to remember our standing in Christ. Salvation is not a process. Salvation is not something I'm burning. You were angry with us, and your anger is turned away. That's what salvation is. I have a new standing. I was under the wrath. Now I have peace with God. And when I have it, I'll never thirst again. I'm secure in Christ. And when you give us that new standing, you put in our mouths a new song that's different than this world. I know music's emotional and people get attached. and I pray you'd help people to understand. We're, We're not here to offend them. We just want them to know why why we take our stand and what the Bible says about music and the fact that we want to be separate from this world. We don't want to be conformed to this world. We don't want to love the things of this world. This world does not love our God. Now, we don't want to align ourselves with this world. We want to align ourselves with the Word of God. We want to sing songs that will teach and admonish and help us. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for allowing imperfect people sinners who deserve to go to hell, to be able to be reconciled to you, have a relationship with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen. All right, well, let's go ahead and take our song. Why don't we sing page number 263? Let's sing Verily, Verily.